Good morning. Um, first, thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. As Leah and I were preparing my last few Sundays, I said, could I speak? And it's not like I had a message on my heart when I asked her to speak. And, um, and I don't know why I asked. And I feel it's kind of ironic because part of part of me is kind of destructing this form of, of, of church, of this spoken word here with a, a preacher type person. So sorry about that. You're going to have to bear with me this morning. But um, yeah, I, I didn't want to come up here to share and describe this journey I've been on for the last four or five years of why I need to continue out of this space. But instead, I wanted to share. Uh, I wanted to share a message that centers BIPOC folk in the room. Um, I grew up in a denomination that is predominantly white. Learn about this, as Christina Cleveland would say, this white male god, this white male god image that has formed me and and created who I am today. But as I've been on this racial identity journey of the last few years, realizing, oh, those are some of the things I need to deconstruct. And um, I was at, uh, or Lee and I got to participate in Evolving Faith. Evolving Faith is a, it was like a, a what do you call those things? Conference online. But it's a conference that is predominantly white, but they do an amazing job of centering um, BIPOC folk or those in the margins. And I'm like, oh, that's how it's done. Oh, that's how it's done. That no matter what space you're in, you could still center those voices. And so this morning, I wanted to do that in, in this space that sometimes in the church space that's predominantly white, I want to give a message to, to those who are of color and center your life experience. Now, if you're sitting there and saying, well, I'm white, does this apply to me? Yeah, it applies to you because I grew up in a white church and those God still spoke to me through those messages. It's just centering, it's just about me centering the black, indigenous, people of color experience this morning. And may God continue to bless each one of us in this space. But this is for y'all. Um, over the last, uh, over this last week, it was kind of weird. I had to, I went through the process of applying for the position that I've been doing for the last week, year. Um, when I was hired at the end of the last school year, I did not go through a hiring process. It was just sixth grade teacher said, I'm piecing out. We need to fill that spot. Jeannie, will you fill that spot? Yes, but I don't know if I want it. They said, well, we're going to hire you on interim basis. And then next, next school year in the middle, you could apply. And so I was like, okay, this is strange, but I'm applying to this position that I've been doing all year. And the hiring committee are my peers and all that. But what was, what was cool about it was, well, one, when I did my demo lesson, the principal, the dean, um, another math teacher, and an assistant teacher were amongst the kids, and they were like, what's going on? But they were, they made me look good. They were so well-behaved. They were so engaged. And I kind of feel like I didn't give them a real picture of what my math class was like. They're like, man, that was good. I'm like, yeah, it's not always like that. But the cool thing about that was after that, I got to sit in an interview space with them and not only tell them my teaching philosophy, but also get to share my journey in and through Prospect Sierra and how Prospect Sierra 
changed my life um, with intersection of Haven. But when I was, I, some of you may have heard this story, but I'm gonna share it anyway. So when I was at Prospect Sierra my first year, we got the message app, uh, message app called Slack. I don't know if any of you use Slack, but, but the uh, originator of it, he came up to me and said, his name was Chewy. Chewy came up to me and said, Jeannie, Jeannie, let me see your phone. I'm like, okay. He goes, I'm, have you used Slack? I'm like, yeah, I've used Slack. He goes, well, I'm going to invite you to a private channel. I'm like, oh, cool. I get to be part of a private channel. And I go, what channel? He said, POC. I'm like, okay, cool. What's that? And he said, people of color. Now, he didn't make fun of me for not knowing what that meant. He just said people of color. And he kept going. But in my head, I was like, what? Person of color? I'm a person of color. Yeah, duh. No one's ever identified me as a person of color. Wait, I could identify as a person of color? And so this whole thing, like, like what? And it floored me. And so for the last five years, trying to understand my racial identity journey as a person of color. Now, here's the thing. If a white person would have come up to me and said, hey, you're going to be in the person of color channel, I would have been like, oh, because I don't belong. But for another person of color to stand next to me and say, hey, come here, you belong in this space, person of color channel. And I'm like, whoa, I don't think I've ever had a place where I could belong. And, and in fact, it took me a couple of years at Prospect Sierra to, to tip my toe into what it meant to be a person of color. They had person of color cohorts for the teachers that I started going to. I'm like, this is pretty awesome. Uh, they had a per person of color conference that our last head of school uh, who was um, Asian said, this is a priority at our school. So any person of color who wants to go to this conference, it's a national conference. Um, she put away a million dollars to send any educator and staff, a person of color to this conference. And over the last few years, it's been online because of COVID. But this year I went, or in October I went, December. It was crazy. It was 7,000 educators of color in private independent schools across the nation. And so just learning for myself this journey of what it means to be a person of color in spaces that I just never knew I could plan. And so I don't know where you are on your journey of racial identity. Maybe you, I, I feel so new to it. It's like five years, like I said. And so for some of you, you probably have identified that way a long time, but for me, it's new. And so thank you for gracing me with sharing that journey with me. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to center this life experience. Um, so for those of you who identify as BIPOC, may these words encourage you wherever you are on your racial identity journey. And may you be affirmed in your wholeness as you show up here at Haven, at your work, in your family, with your friends, and all the communities you're part of. So today I share this message to you. I'm gonna be reading from Matthew 5, to the Beatitudes says this. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. I don't know if I said I'm reading this from the message, but I'm reading this from the message this morning. And he said, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You are blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one dear to you. You are blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. 
You are blessed when you work up, when you worked up a good appetite for, uh, for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At that moment, careful, you find yourselves being cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. And not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lines about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even for though they don't like it, I do. And all have an applause. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. May God bless the reading of this word this morning. Now, if you grew up in church, actually, how many of you grew up in church? A few of you? Okay, so those of us who grew up in church, we heard this message a lot. And through this white lens, I always thought of the Beatitudes as this if kind of like a martyr thing, right? If I martyr myself, if I make myself smaller, if I suffer and 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 and, and are meek and all that, I feel like then I can receive God's blessing. Um, I also remember this image, sermon. On, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, early in Jesus's ministry, and it's and so in my mind I see Jesus, this white guy, Jesus. Uh, come and preach to a multitude and um, we read it out of King James and it sounded a little bit like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are they uh, which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And I remember hearing those words, and it's, it's beautiful in the King James. It's so poetic and so blessed are the peacemakers. I remember that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But I also remember this sense of martyrdom, of sacrifice, of, of service. And it was through that sacrifice and suffering that we can be blessed. The more we give of ourselves and put ourselves in sacrificing circumstances, the more God will bless our life. That's how I remember this, the attitudes. But I want to give you a different perspective this morning. 
especially those of you, like I said, who are people of color in this room. First of all, I, I want to say I learned to come to read scripture with a little bit more information. I grew up in a denomination where, man, you had to go to seminary and get degrees and read Greek and Hebrew to understand the scripture. But I've come to learn that, that if we can approach scripture with a more imagination, with imagination and curiosity, um, it can be just as beautiful. So I wanted to do that this morning. So in my head, as I reframe this narrative, Jesus was a teacher, an educator like me, Annalise. And, and oh, if you've seen Alicia teach or me, there's this click that we're sitting in our room before the kids come in and we are so tired. And all of a sudden, okay, the bell rings. Like, you just have to click. You just click, right? And it's like, you're on and, and you're just on teaching. And I think Jesus did that. He, he, I'm sure in, in scripture, he goes to the solitude to rest. But I'm sure he came in and was like, okay, I'm on. I'm on and I'm ready to speak. And I bet he was a super engaged teacher. So in my mind, I see a brown Jesus now. Super charismatic. Super awesome teacher where everybody just kind of leans in to the teaching. Now, we here in the progressive church hear that Jesus came for the press and those to provide justice and healing, right? And we hear that. And if that's the case, then he came to speak to us in the margins, those who are not, those who are not privileged and of power, right? And so, and so I think about the, the message that he would have given to, to us this morning, if, 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 uh, if he was here in this space, who would he speak to? I'm saying this morning he's going to speak to us by pop folk, is that, if that's okay. In my classroom, I, I have kids that, um, I should just say, takes up some of my energy. Right? And, and there's, I could have 18 kids in a class, but there's one or two that take all my energy, and I don't get a chance to, to give some of my other kids attention. And I, and I imagine that's what the, the Sermon on the Mount looked like, that Jesus wanted to see those quiet kids, the people of color, those on the margins, and, and, and that's what he sought out to look for. Um, so if Jesus was here in this space giving this message of the Beatitudes um, to the people of color in the room, I think he would want to speak to the journey and experience of the immigrant life. I think he would want to speak to the journey and hardships for single moms and grandmas raising children and grandchildren. I think he would want to speak to the journey and experience for those who suffered loss. I think you'd want to speak to the journey experience of those who have lived lives on the margins and shunned by society. And I think he would speak to the journey experience of those who are invisible to those who have power. And I think he'd want to speak to the journey experience who fear for their safety and lives. So I think this is who the Beatitudes are for because our lived experience is just a little bit different. So I took the liberty to paraphrase the Beatitudes for you this morning. I'll call it poetry. You'll call it whatever you want. 
But I want to give you a version of what I think is at the heart of the Beatitudes, the blessings. Because even as a person of color, we say, oh, these are blessings. It still feels hard to know that our hardships are blessings. But I think our blessings or, or our journeys, our experiences, um, I don't know, you could call them blessings, but it, it, it's what we experience. And so I think this is the message that Jesus might be saying. It says, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. This is what he said. I see you. I see you when you are at the end of your rope. When you have nothing left, I'm here for you. I see you when you've lost what is most dear to you. Because in that place of grief, you can know that I'm embracing you. I see you when you're content with just who you are, no more or no less. That's when you know who you are and cannot be defined by white culture standards. I see you when you worked up a good appetite for God, a divine mama, for that is the meal that will satisfy you like no other. Sit in her presence often. I see you when you care, because at that moment of being careful, you find yourselves being cared for. I see you when you get your inside rolled, your mind and your heart put bright, then you can see the divine all around you in all things. I see you when you can he when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. I see you when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. And not only that, I see you Every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me, what it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer, even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applause. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and prophetesses and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. So you see, being seen is the blessing. It doesn't mean God's taking any of that away. Being seen means he's, she's right there and sees where you are in all of it. We get to reclaim the narrative of the Beatitudes. It's not a declaration for martyrdom and righteousness. It's a call to know that God sees you wherever you are in your journey. God sees you. Ugh. We've been taught that if you're not part of the majority, you're part of the oppressed. So if you sit here in any place and you've been part of the oppressed, I just want to reframe our narrative. If you're not a part of the majority, you're not only part of the oppressed, but guess what? You're part of the blessed. Guess what? You're part of the seen. Guess what? 
You're part of the broken. You're part of the healed. You're part of the survivors. You're part of the revolutionaries. You're part of the warriors. You're part of the resilient. That feels pretty cool to be part of, right? I want to give you an example of someone who's reclaimed this narrative. Um, I want to share a story about my mom. Today, of all days, today is a day of remembrance, a day to reflect on the Japanese-Americans World War II. Uh, sorry, today is a day of remembrance, a day to reflect on the injustices suffered by the Japanese-Americans during World War II and to honor their legacy. On this day, February 19, 1942, President Franklin Roosevelt signed an executive order 9066, which gave the U.S. Army the authority to remove citizens, innocent Japanese-Americans, from their neighborhoods throughout Washington, Oregon, California, and Arizona. So over 120,000 Japanese Americans were incarcerated. And in Hawaii, where my family was from, my mom, about 2,000. They couldn't take all the Japanese from Hawaii because that would have stopped the economy in Hawaii. So every February, the Japanese American community commemorates Executive Order 9066 as a member of the in as a reminder of the impact incarceration experience has, has had on our families, our community, and our country. Japanese Americans' World War II experience fit alongside those of indigenous, black, Latinx, Asians, and other communities that make up the American story. Together, our testimonies weave a tapestry of American justice and experience. So for this day of remembrance, I'd like to share you a story about my mom. Um, Right now, my mom and I are part of a study uh, through the University of Houston. I'm, I think I remember signing up on some website, if you're Asian descent, caring for elderly, if you'd ever be like part of a study, put your name here. So I think I signed my name up in that. And so um, someone from the University of Houston said, hey, would you like to be part of this study? And so basically this study is to study, um, especially during COVID, how uh, the elderly with dementia are, are being cared for and how their care could be given better care, I guess, it, th through this Leib Erickson life review process. And so they wanted to train caregivers life review process. And so I'm like, oh, this sounds totally fun. And so I said, yes, we'll do it. So in this process of doing this, my mom and I have gotten online through Zoom a couple times to, to talk to the person who's um, running this study. And she gave my mom a list of questions. She did a cognitive exam to see how her memory is. And she's like, I failed it. I'm like, you can't fail a cognitive exam. And she did fine, except the, I don't know if y'all tried a cognitive exam. I think I probably would fail part of it. But she, because they ask you this, they say, I'm going to give you five words. And later on in this, you got to remember that. So they give you five words. And then they ask you all these other questions. And they remember those five words? What were they? And I'm like, I remember them. How, how are she supposed to remember them? But she doesn't do well on the math part. They say, starting from 100, let's count backwards. And that's really hard for her. So she thought she failed it. But it's not about fail. And then they start asking questions like, uh, are you content in life? Uh, do you feel you supported? Do you feel you have to purpose and all those were like yes 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 do you feel worth uh valuable or worthy i think worth do you feel like you have a sense of self-worth and she said sometimes and that, that was kind of sad 
But the one question that blew me away was, do you feel you lived your most idyllic life? And in my head, I'm like, nah, I wish I was richer and bigger house and had all that stuff around me. But you know what she said? She said, yes. And I was like, oh. So then after that questions, um, I got her set up because the person doing the study had to interview me too. And so she goes, I just, I'm going over the questions that I gave your mom to see how you would have answered it. And so when it came to, do you think she's li living her most idyllic life? And I said, I don't, I, 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 I don't know how she answered that so positively because she's lived, she, at age nine, she was taken from her home in Hawaii and was incarcerated in Japanese concentration camps for three years of her life. And then after that, she um, came back to Hawaii and about six months later, she lived through a tsunami that swept through Hilo and she lost everything. And she survived the tsunami, um, scars on her knees to this day. And then not only that, my dad died when I was 18 and there's five kids in our family. But she had to, some of us are young adults, but still, we're kids. She's raised us with such grace and humility and generosity. And for her to say, I've lived my most idyllic life, I was like, oh, 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 this is the beatitude part. This is the part. And, and if you were asked her, how did you, how do you have this mindset? She would say, God. And I don't know if anywhere in this study they talk about religion but hopefully I could bring that part in because I don't think it's what I'm doing to help her have a idyllic life I think she sits there with this reliance that God got me through all those things God got me through all those things God got me through all those things like dang that's what the beatitudes are she's reframed that narrative she doesn't have to be the oppressed. She gets to claim that she's lived a life, the most ideal life, the most satisfied life that she can. And I think about that a lot because I think I, I want to be at the end of my life saying the same thing. But not even, and then I start thinking, not even at the end of my life. I should be saying that now, right? And so what does it mean to reclaim our narrative? What does it mean to know that, man, that this thing, that foundation, this God thing, it is 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 the um, the juice, the juju, the, the it that will make it that will make um, life worth living. Y'all, in my deconstruction of this white male God, there was a moment of just pure, literal panic attack, taking everything out of pot was alive. Through a lot of work, I even hired a spiritual director, and she's like, Jeannie, 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 that same God then was a kid. is the same God now. And so as I leave Haven, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not leaving my faith at all. In fact, I'm discovering more of my faith in a new way that is it's different than what it has been, like what we grew up with, the Southern Convention, Jeunesse Park, Youth Camp. It's so much bigger and broader and more beautiful. And I'm not saying Haven hasn't been all those things for me because I would not be standing here without Haven, the convergence of Prospect Sierra and Haven. 
in knowing that I can be a person of color. I can find my voice. I can find those places that I could just be who I am. I don't have to shrink or, or transform or, or code switch and be in white spaces to be a certain way, but I can be who God created me to be. And I don't know where you're on your, your racial identity journey, but I hope that you could claim that too, right? That, that you and your fullness and goodness in living the life of a person of color can feel and know that you're seen, that you're seen, that you're seen. And in that scene, you are blessed. I did not make questions for community conversations. Because sometimes in community conversation, it's like, okay, now we just heard that. And how do we hold that? I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a slow processor. We just heard a lot. And I'm going to take a minute to reread my paraphrase of the attitudes. And as I read this, I want to think, I want you to think about where you are seen and where you're held by God and where you're known. And then we'll take a minute to reflect, and I'll lead you through that too. Because, like I said, you know, I don't know. The breakouts is awesome and fun, and sometimes it's hard. So I'm going to read this, and then we'll take a moment for breakout groups. You're welcome to part not participate in breakout groups. If you need that moment just to, to sit and listen to Divine, you could do that. Find a place. If you feel like you need to process with people, find people. If you need a BIPOC cohort to process, we can make that too in this space. If you need prayer, we have Connie here. I just called you out and just, if people want to pray with Connie or, or Leah, we could do that. But let's take a moment to, to hear from the divine this morning. If you could close your eyes and center yourself and a deep breath in, breath in. And let the divine speak to you where you are seen. So when Jesus saw his ministry, drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, those uh, committed, they climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. And this is what he's saying this morning. I see you, I see you when you are at the end of your rope, when you have nothing left, I am here with you. I see you when you feel lost, when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. In that place of grief, you can know that I am embracing you. I see you when you are content with just who you are, no more or no less, that's when you know who you are and you cannot be defined by white culture standards. I see you when you've worked up the good appetite for God, the divine mama, for that is the meal that will satisfy you like no other. Sit in her presence often. I see you when you care, because at that moment of being careful, 
you find yourself being cared for. I see you when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. That's when you can see the divine all around you in all things. I see you when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. I see you when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. And not only that, I see you every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven is a party right now. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and prophetesses and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. And as God sees you this morning, may you receive his blessing. How much time do we have? How much time do we have? But I mean, for, for breakouts or whatever. Ten minutes. So for the next ten minutes, take the space you need, whether it's talking to your neighborhood, whether it's just sitting silently with the divine, whether it's sitting with your BIPOC cohort, it'd be a cool space. Yeah. Guy what? The intention? Uh, uh, sure. Haven community intentions, all are welcome who support the belonging of others. In discussion, take a couple beats. Meaning pauses. Remember, we're all learning. Share courageously and responsibly. Offer grace freely and stay curious and listen well. And confidentially, confidentiality provides safety. What is shared in your space stays in your space. Uh, don't yuck my yum. Any other intentions you want to you want to share? Any other intentions? Make a safe, equitable space. All right. Take the time you need for about eight minutes now. Okay. 